And tonight we're going to spend a few minutes talking about change. Something everybody loves to talk about change. Everybody, everybody I know likes change. Don't y'all like change? Just everybody loves change. But this is going to call it change for promotion. Anybody like promotion? And um, so uh, if you have your Bible, if you want to, we, we may not read it right away, but uh, not make a few statements, but you can, let's go to Romans chapter 8, if you will. Romans, the 8th chapter. One of the best chapters in the Bible. Book and chapters, Romans chapter 8. Well, we've uh, we finished one month. January, it's gone. Here we are on February the 1st. And uh, it moves on. It'll move on faster than what we think. It's not so much always how we start, but how we finish. You ever notice that there's a lot of starters in life, but very few finishers? Matter of fact, it's, it's a lot easier to finish. I mean, start something than it is to complete it. Stay with it. You know, Hebrews said, don't be weary in well-doing. Must be a reason why I said that. I suppose you can get weary along the way. So don't be weary and well-doing for in due season you should reap if you don't faint. So there's a there's a lot of starters, as we say, but it's the finishing that counts. And and uh, I mean, no, we're not in a sprint, but we're in a we're in a long-term race. And your destiny is your call. Your life is a it's a lifelong pursuit. And I don't know. I mean, you, you could you could say it this way, but if you uh, if your life was in chapters, and I don't know how many chapters it would be, just just for sake of an illustration, if it was if it was twenty five chapters, then you might we might ask ourselves, what chapter am I in? Uh, what chapters have I completed? Uh, it's been my experience that if I don't if I don't walk the chapter out according to the way that I need to walk it out, I get to do I get a do over. I mean, you can kind of see that you know for the Israelites and the you know it was like eleven day journey from Egypt to the Promised Land, and they just they went a little bit further than that. They stretched it from 11 days to 40 years. But uh, So they kind of took the scenic route. And um, let's don't do the scenic route. Um, I did the math. I don't think I got 40 years to do the scenic route. And, um, well, it's not that I, I couldn't be alive. It's just like I don't know if I'd be alive enough to care. <laughs> Once I got there, what it looked like is like... <laughs> Yeah. When you get there, I say I'd be a little over 100, so they, if they want to know if I was a senior citizen, I'd probably say, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so our destiny is a lifelong pursuit, and uh, so we need to decide about not just the year, not just the month, but um, if you're a student of uh, leadership, if you like to read leadership books, I mean, I know uh, John Maxwell wrote a book years ago and talks about Today Matters. And a lot of times people don't look at it on a day-to-day -day basis, they look at it as a goal, but really a goal is made up of many, uh, of many todays. And we can learn from tomorrow, but we can't redo tomorrow. We can certainly learn from it, uh, the good and the bad experiences, and a lot of times, you know, the saying is we're a lot smarter looking backwards than we are sometimes forward, but uh, 
there's a truth to that, but what we're gonna do on a daily basis and what we're gonna, if you string enough todays together, then you'll have a tomorrow. So today is the tomorrow that she was looking for. And uh, tomorrow will be the today. And so you actually, actually never get to tomorrow because when you get tomorrow, it'll just be today, right? And um, so we're, uh, we were talking about the Kingdom Sunday. We'll go back and talk about that Sunday morning, but I want to go a little bit different way uh, tonight. Uh, last year, um, in January, we talked about, um, we gave it different titles, and, and this might even be a title, you know, used by those who teach leadership. Uh, but there's certainly, uh, you know, whether, the, whether the, uh, the terminology is in the Bible or not, the principle's there. A lot of times you won't find something in the Bible like, like, um, like the word Bible. <laughs> you won't find that in the Bible, but you find the principle of things. And so, do you remember last year we talked about, you know, the thing that you want, that you need, that you want, the thing that you're called to do in life already exists. It's just merely waiting your recognition of it. Remember that was kind of a common theme that went on for several weeks. And then, and I thought I was through with it, and I felt like, no, I wasn't through with it. I was supposed to go back and, and revisit that again. And that's something that I'm always doing inventory on in the sense of what is it that we're called to do? What is it that, um, what is it that we think that we need? If we just had this, in other words, if I could just get these things to come together and I could get them in place and everybody, you know, all my ducks in a row, so to speak, then, then, what, then that thing, whatever that is, that we want to do, we want to accomplish, we want to see happen, then it could happen. Well, that's, uh, that's not necessarily the way it all works. And uh, it's not always the things. It's not always things come together. Uh, it's, it's, it's more our thinking than it is anything. And um, I, um, I've had the privilege to be around some people who are, who are thinkers. And um, uh, Joyce Myers uh, wrote you know, a book about the battlefield of the mind years ago. And they tell, uh, I understand it's still her number one seller. And she's wrote many books since then. But it's still, she's never had a better seller book than the battlefield of the mind. If you know, uh, she has a lot of good books that sh probably should be read. You know, but you, if you if you write a book about humility, nobody wants to buy it. You know, if you write a book about you know uh, you know how to walk in love with everybody, nobody wants to buy that. But if you write a book about how to prosper by Monday, everybody wants to. You know, they don't even want to wait on the book; they just get an e-book and or just you know buy buy it on the iCloud. I need it right now because Monday's almost here. So um, it's, just, it's just kind of human nature. We want everything to happen uh, that we want to happen. We want to happen right away. But life doesn't generally work that way. And uh, so we're talking about promotion. But for every promotion that there is in life, you know, whether it's naturally or spiritually, there is always a preparation period. I mean, we, we, know, we, we, t we tell a story about, about Noah and the flood, but you have to remember that he had to build an ark. And he didn't build it in 30 days. He spent he spent a lot a lot of years building an ark, preaching to people. He might have been a better he might have been a better builder than he was a preacher because he didn't even get one convert. That's not, I, don't know, I don't know what to think about that, but I mean he, he preached a long time while he's building. And he didn't convince one person, and uh, convinced his family. So if you can do that, if you can convince your family, some of the things you can do anything. So I don't I, I, I'm gonna stay away from that. I'll leave that that'll be a standalone statement all by itself. You know, sometimes we look a lot smarter to people that we don't know. Used to be, there used to be a saying, anyone traveling over 50 miles with a briefcase is an expert. And, uh, and so, uh, 
uh, <laughs> I, I had a family member one time, he told me, he said, uh, well, as a son, he said, my wife, he said, every time, he said, she never wants to listen to anything I, I know about medically, and I've studied a lot of medical things, you know, and I'm almost ready to get a degree in it. He said, but she can watch a commercial. When she watches commercial, anybody on the TV that has a white coat, she just believes everything they say. And I said, well, that's no problem. He said, I said, the cure for that's easy. He said, what? He said, what, what, what do I do? I said, just go online, buy your white coat. <laughs> when you go home, put on your slippers, put on your white coat, and keep on telling her everything that you know. And, um, but see, he, he listened to that either. So anyway, uh, Romans 8, 6 says this. He says, to be carnally minded um, is, is, is to not do well. is a little less than 100%. You know, have you ever noticed that the Bible is brutally honest? <laughs> I don't mean to use just the word brutal, but I mean the Bible is just honest. It's just true. And it, it, it doesn't always sugarcoat things. I mean, Paul did tell Timothy as a young pastor, he says, he said, it will be your, it, you know, you need to lead by example. And apparently, Timothy was having some issues because of his youth, and people were probably telling him, who do you think you are? I, I, I remember doing that, being a pastor, and I started at 33, so I had people in their 50s and 60s, you know. And, you know, when you're 30 and someone talks to you in their 60s and 70s, you know, you know how it is. When you're 30, you think someone that's 50 is, you know, about ready to draw the last breath. And, I, and if you're 70, I thought, you know, I can't even believe you haven't done your funeral yet. But, uh, you know, they would want to say in a nice way, you know, you can preach about that, but you don't really know because you haven't really lived, you know, you haven't lived my experiences. So what you have is a theory. And I, and I will say there's a, there was a, now being where they are and them either being older or gone, there's an element of natural side of life to that, you know, that, that you there, there's just a natural side of life that you know Moses Moses life was like in three phases I mean you know he he grew up as a basket case and um, you know he's had to get him out of Egypt and uh, so that he his life wouldn't be destroyed and God sent him right into the Pharaoh's palace but he had 40 years with Egypt and he was he was groomed by, by Pharaoh then he come to know who he was and he had 40 years in the wilderness after he decided, after he found out who he was and wanted to, he wanted to deliver his true brother. Then he lived 40 years on the desert in humanity. And then he, he lived 40 years in the supernatural. But there was a part of Moses' life, if you want to look at it this way, that when God spoke to him, he cared, but he was just, but his attitude was almost like just go by, you know, when he was 40, he was ready to kill that Egyptian, and he did. He was going to be the deliverer. When he was 80, he was like, God, get somebody else. But God had prepared him. And there's, there's, no, way to get to, there's no way to get to the destiny and, and to the promotion that you have without preparation. There's, there's just no way there. Um... We all like a quick fix, and it just doesn't work that way. But, you know, the old saying is preparation time is never wasted time. 
I've had people ask me sometimes, um, nothing, no one here recently I can think of, but I've had people ask me through the years, they said, um, I can think of one person and they were, they had ministered a couple of times, been asked to minister a couple of times uh, to a group of people. And uh, there was a young person and uh, they came to where I was speaking and they said, he said, Pastor, he said, West, he said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, how long did it take you to, to prepare for that, that message? And uh, this has been about, you know, three or four years ago. I said, oh, I don't know, about 25 years. <laughs> he said, what? Well, not technically that particular message standing on its own, but, but the life of it is 25 years. I mean, there's things that, that I've preached uh, that I still would believe in, but I never was walking in. I, I, in other words, there's things that you might preach, which is absolutely true, but you never fought the fight that goes with the message yet. It doesn't mean that what you preach is wrong, but you just never fought the fight that goes with it. And if I read the parable, the sower says Satan comes in a couple of years after you preach to steal the word. You know, I'm just being facetious about that. I, I can't even spell, for the, spell it, but I, uh, that's what I'm being. And, uh, but Satan comes immediately. So I would find myself, you know, just walking the life as I know that you have, that you, things that you, you, you had a firm doctrine and your belief and you was absolutely convinced in the Word of God because it's just, it's just black and white. There it is. There's, um, but, then you, but you've never been in the fight of it. And then one day the fight comes, and it comes to challenge everything that you believe to be true. And I will say this because sometimes, uh, and probably have been guilty of it many years ago, sometimes we just teach what we've been taught, and we just keep on saying what they said, and we pair it with what other people say. And um, uh, it's good to have people that go in front of us, and it's good to have leaders that we can glean from. Uh, we need to give everybody enough room to make uh, you know, to make mistakes because pe people are people and they make mistakes and they all grow. I mean, there's things that I, that I uh, teach um, today that I didn't teach yesterday and there's things that I wouldn't teach today that I did teach. There's things that I, w I don't believe today that I used to believe many yesterdays ago. That's just called growth, right? No one starts at the end. They all start at the beginning. Um, I'm, uh, I'm waiting to get, uh, and it's just for history purposes, so it doesn't really make any difference. I think I told you about it. I know Curry Blake is putting together, because uh, he, has, he has all of um, the original materials from John G. Lake Ministries that was given to him when the ministries passed down to him before um, Dr. Lake's last daughter and son-in-law passed away, so he has all the messages. And, uh, and they were, uh, his, his wife was a stenographer. That's the reason why... Curtis, the only reason why you have anything John G. Lake in print is just because his wife was a stenographer. Otherwise, it wouldn't be anything. And uh, but when Curtis said, when you begin to read the, read the books, he said, he said, well, these are just the sermons. But then he got to see all kind of things. You know, he, he'd read this, and all of a sudden, the sermon it had about that much taken out of it. Then he'd, he'd pick back up again, then it'd go again, go again. So at that time, um, Wilford, the son-in-law of John G. Lake, was still alive, and he says, well, you know. We didn't have anything uh, to do with the printing. We gave them consent, but we didn't realize what they was going to do was they were, they were going to take some things out of John G. Lake's teaching because it, it went crosswise with, with, their, with their denomination. In other words, they had books out. They had teachings out. 
and either they disagreed or they didn't want to. They they didn't want you to see that what they said wasn't right, which is would just be pride or whatever it is. So in other words, they just kind of cut, cut and paste, and you know that kind of stuff. And um, so I know Brother Curry said that uh, he said when I'm teaching the the Divine Healing Technician Seminar, he said really all I'm teaching in uh, those three days. If you go to one, it's six hours a day for three days. He said really all I'm teaching in there is what they took out of his notes. And so I have, I think, probably all his books, John G. Lake's books, but you know, you got the old one that different peoples had it reprinted, the Copans had it reprinted, the one with the African scene on it. It's really a great book, but it, that one's been edited too. So there's things in there that, that, uh, that um, it, it's not that the, I won't say who the denomination that did it, it's not that they put their stuff in place, it's just they took stuff out. And it was, they didn't give you the whole sermon. So he said, uh, so Curry said, what I'm doing is I'm, he said, I'm just doing it so that you can see the progression of revelation of people. He says, because uh, if you're not looking for it, you don't recognize it. But he said, but even in that book, the big book that we're talking about of, of Lake's teachings, um, if you're just reading from page one to the end of the page, there'll be things that, they'll, uh, that you say, now, wait a minute, he said this here on page, you know, 32, but on page 147, he said it the other way. Well, the thing is, it wasn't put in chronological order. In other words, this is what he saw. This is the light that he had, but, you know, five years later, this is what he saw. You know, when you, when, when, and you're well familiar with it, like his, his story that just being in Spokane, Washington, you know, he, he had 13, I can't remember if it was 13 or 16, but I think it was 13, um, it wasn't a whole lot of people because there wasn't a whole lot of people willing to uh, devote that much of their life to what L Lake was teaching them. He taught them everything that he knew. And his deal was, he says, we're pe people are going to come here and they got to be willing to sign a paper to come here for 30 days. And, um, and they have to be willing to do what we ask him to do. And uh, some, he says, what we want to do is get them healed the first time. He said, but we don't always get them healed the first time. He said, but we'll, we'll still minister to him the next day. We, we won't start over because it didn't work. Because, you know, his, his understanding of the life of God was, I know the tangible Christ is on me, and I can release it. It's just nothing called life. And he says, there's, some, there's times I've laid hands on people, and there was enough life of God. It just, it just cured them right there. Then there was other times, he said, my belief was just the same, but for whatever reason, you know, I could get them 20% better. But the next day, he said, I would add two. And not start over because it didn't work. Then the next day I would add two, and that. Was, and you've heard me give that illustration, but the illustration is actually in that book of a brick mason. You know, you just start bricking a house, but most of the time you can't do a house in a day. It may take him a week or two weeks to brick a house or more. So he would just add another layer, another layer. Said so never took over thirty days. So in that five-year period, uh, we. I remember someone asked at uh, the last. A meeting I went to, they said, was it seven days a week? You said, no, it's five days. Uh, if you went to the healing rooms, it was open Monday through Friday. There was, I think, 13 healing divine technicians. And um, um, he said that in, if you do, if you do the math, I, I've done it, I don't remember what the number is, uh, but they had 100,000 healings. 
and, and, and most of these people were, were not just sick. These people were basically terminal. They're, they're, they were all dying. Medical science gave up on them. So if you, if you just take five days a week times three, you know, a year, and how many days that is divided by 100,000, I think it was like 30 or 40 something terminal people a day um, that was going to die, but after that they lived. You, you'd have to come to learn something about some principles. You, no one stumbles in, no, one, no one's that lucky. No one stumbles into the power of God that way that has those kind of results. So it literally did shut the hospital down in Spokane, Washington. They, had to, they went out of business because there was not, there was not wasn't enough sick people to, to keep it open. Sad, sadly, though, that um, Lake left there, and what he didn't do, he went from there to Portland, Oregon, and started the same thing and had success there, but he didn't keep the work going. In other words, the, the people that he trained didn't all go with him to Portland, but they didn't continue to do the work, and within a few years, Spokane was back in the same situation that was in. So you can't, you can't base it around a person or a personality. Uh, and so I think in, in, uh, in the lines of, of faith people, and I'm, just speak, I'm not speaking for all faith people, I'm just speaking for someone like me who, who went to a school that faith was emphasized a lot, a whole lot, and a good thing for it. But you could leave there even though they didn't say this, and I'm not blaming anyone, uh, I'm just saying, but if you if you don't have the balance of grace and faith, if you don't have the uh, you know the balance of the Word of God, you can make such an emphasis on one to the exclusion of the other that you make everything just this. So you had people who didn't want to come for prayer sometimes because they felt like if I come for prayer and uh, for the second or third time, it looks like I don't have faith. Or if I don't drive a certain kind of vehicle, it looks like I'm not in faith because I'm not prospering the way that I should. I know what I'm talking about because I've, I've been with those people. And I have people who meant well, but they told me, I mean, I, mean, I remember years ago, this person's in heaven now. Years ago, we was uh, looking at buying a vehicle and I was going to... Um, was actually going to buy a Toyota and, and it kind of shocked these pastors. And they said, the Toyota? And I said, yeah. And they said, why would you get that? I said, um, they seem to run. <laughs> they, 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 you know, they seem to stay out of the shop. And they said, well, that just wouldn't look good for prosperity. And I said, huh? They said, well, if you're going to get one, at least get an Avalon, you know, with everything on it. Because the people need to see that you, you know, God's, it, it, it starts with the head and, and they, they need to see you prospering that way. And what they had done is they had, they had uh, got themselves in such a, a debt that they, that they couldn't pay the bills, there's no way. And got themselves in an awful mess. And, uh, and I know that they meant well, uh, and I will say this, Brother Hagin never taught that. Matter of fact, before Brother Hagin's passed, you know, some of y'all might remember, he did uh, something called the Midas, he wrote a book called The Midas Touch. And he brought leaders together from, you might say, the word of faith uh, influence from around the world who came 
um, by invitation. And he warned them that what was going on was excess. And, uh, you know, when you're building air-conditioned dog houses and stuff like that. and uh, So, um, but I'm just saying there's been, there's been excesses taught in, in, in the Word of Faith that, that I, I, don't, I don't ascribe to. I don't judge anybody. It's not my place to judge them. But uh, I don't care if you pull up in a pumpkin, a bicycle, Cadillac, or someone drops you off in a limousine. If you're happy and you pay for it, I'm happy. As long as you don't mind, you know, uh, you know <laughs> on the way to where we was going, I, I drove a lot of two-tone cars. Old rust and new rust. <laughs> but I was, uh, it, it was better to have a ride than not have a ride. Huh? So those things to me don't have a lot of eternal value. And if they don't have a lot of eternal value, I, I don't give them a lot of thought. Uh, there, there's, uh, but at the same time, not to teach on prosperity would be a great big mistake. Because there's people in the world starving to death who need somebody to prosper, who need someone to help them. I know I, I talked to them, you know, Africa's got over a billion people in it. Do you know how many destitute peoples in Africa? And I talk to people, and you know I'm talking about in Africa every week, and the, the needs are more than what you can think of. And uh, I mean, I could spend $100,000 over so fast and help all kind of things, you know. Well, because like over there, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they need a school. Girls can't go to school. I mean, right now, none of them can because they don't have they don't have a school. The school they had was burned down in Liberia, so they can't. Get, there's no school, but they did have one. Most of the girls aren't aren't uh, allowed to go. Uh, so we're looking at things about that. But the the land to buy the, the land needed to, to build a facility is seven thousand dollars, and there's a okay. Then you got to build a building. Then you got to hire teachers. Then you got to pay the teachers. Then you got to sponsor students, then you got, see what I'm saying? While you're maintaining, keeping everything going that you're already keeping going. So if you don't believe in prosperity, then you're not going to be able to help many people. But at the same time, to think that I have to have a lot, see, I don't think it's what you leave the world, what you leave here with. Um, I'll say this and I'll, I'll quit meddling. I mean, sometimes the most natural thing to do is that you think that I'll leave, I'll leave here one day and I'll leave everything to my family. And you may have scripture for that, but you might find out that wasn't the best thing to do. Sometimes what you can do to hurt the people the most is leave them things that they're not ready for or give them things they're not ready for. Everybody's not ready for wealth. I mean, there's, there's times that I've, I've failed that test that it came before I was ready for it. And then I, I thought, well, looking back, boy, I wish I'd have made better decisions, you know, the, the, the day that that happened. You'd be wiser looking forward. But I'm just saying there, there's, there's people that when we go stand before him and we look at our whole life and what we did while we was here on the earth, uh, if, if all my, you know, I, I just, I, I just say like, for instance, if all my kids, if I had a, a lot of wealth 
and I left and I just made sure it went to my, my kids and I divided it four different ways. And they all bought speedboats and cars and mansions and all that kind of stuff. And, and none of them ever gave a plug nickel to the kingdom. Then what did I empower them to do? I'd rather them get to heaven and be mad at me till they get there. <laughs> but, but make sure that I placed it in the kingdom. Because I think I would answer. See, I think, I think you have to give an answer for increase. I, I think you do. I, well, I, I know you do. Uh, James over here said that those of you in the congregation, he says, who, who are, are better off, he said, you, you have a greater responsibility. God don't know, just give you a calculator and say, do, you know, do 10. Hmm? But James also said, you know, to, to the pastor, he said, don't treat the people who have more any different than the ones who who doesn't have anything when they come in. In other words, one may come in and be barely dressed in, in, uh, in clothing that's, you, you might need some air freshening when they come in. He said, but there's, there, there needs to be, uh, uh, there needs to be not disparity between those who have and those who do not have because they're all God's people. And the word of God belongs to all of them. I mean, the, 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 the one of the things that I have enjoyed the most about pastoring, it has a lot of challenges, but one of the things I've enjoyed the most, that you don't, that the general, the, uh, the, the traveling guy doesn't really get to see. It's kind of funny because the traveling guy wants to be the pastor and the pastor wants to be the traveling guy. It's, it's, it's just the truth. Brother Hagin said that he did both. He says, he says, I mean, I can't make nobody do it. He says, but just from experience, he said every pastor ought to be forced to travel for two years. He says, never travel minister ought to be forced to pastor for two years. He said, they'd like each other and appreciate each other a whole lot more because they would understand each other. Uh, I, thought, I think someone, if I told them you, you, you'd know who they was, uh, they've been 40-something years in the ministry. Uh, no, I'm sorry, they've been 50 years in the ministry. And uh, I won't mention their name. Oh, that wouldn't be good, so... But anyway, uh, but you would know him. And uh, been all over the world, preached, been on TV, just uh, whatever. Was asked to go do a conference for nine days. And uh, generally they just, you know, send your airline ticket to him and have the reservations made. And if he doesn't want to have to drive, because he's getting older now, if he doesn't want to drive, they'll pick him up. If he wants to get a rental car, they'll reimburse him. So he just said, well, I'll just get everything and, and would just do like I always reimbursed him. But this time they told him after, after the nine days, after he was there, nine, ten days, he's over 70 years old. They didn't reimburse him for anything. And after nine days, uh, being about 1,500 miles away from home, they gave him $300. And he paid for the hotels and all of his seats. He paid for his airline tickets and uh, everything. Now, how... I don't understand how you do that to people. I don't understand how you invite someone to your church and, and treat them that way. And I think someone will answer for that one day of, of how you treated them. So the, 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 uh, the traveling guy, he'd like to be the pastor. So when he says, you know, when I don't always have a meeting, he says, you pastors, you, you have a meeting every week. And on the financial side, that means you might have a payday. 
And then, then the pastor says, he says, I sure would like to see some different people up now and then. <laughs> you know, he said, I done told all my jokes. I don't have any more jokes, same people. So they'll, but, but see, the traveling guy never, they don't really get to see the growth of the people. And so I'm just now finally getting old enough to see where the children's church, little ones, have kids. And that's, that's something to see. You know, and when you're when your children and uh, have children, in other words, but you know, like y'all teaching kids for all those years, Matt teaching youth, and you taught children's church and youth to where now that you're seeing them and they're grown and they have children, and 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 you can remember when you know they were in class and they were cutting up and you know and sometimes paying attention, sometimes not, and you couldn't hold their attention for you know for more than twelve minutes. And now they got kids, and they got all kind of responsibilities, and and you can see, and um, it's it's good sometimes to run into some of those people, and some of them would just say, "I didn't know how to appreciate it then, but but thank you, but thank you." And teaching children's church and nursery is is a pretty thankless job. I mean, kids generally, an eight year old didn't generally come up to you and and just you know embrace their teacher, say, "I just want you to know, look me in the face, teacher." You have changed my life. <laughs> I mean, that, that doesn't happen probably a whole lot, or maybe it never, maybe it never has happened. But I've had my kids tell me after church sometimes. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm trying to change it, but anyway. But but I've had my kids tell me through the years. I said, I said that class was just so good this morning, and because boys said, what was you taught, or if it was youth or whatever, and then I said, that's good. Did did you tell the teacher? Well, no, sir. I said, why not? Well, you, you can see why I would say that. But I wanted, I wanted them to know that too. It's like going back at, when you get older and you begin to think about those things and you think about your fourth grade teacher or your first grade teacher or someone you worked with, someone, because no, no one got where they, no one got where they, where they are on their own. No one did. You know, I don't know if I ascribed to them. I mean, there's a saying that says, takes a village to raise a child, and I, I understand the principle of that. Um, but actually, you know, God made me responsible for my own family, not a village. Um, I, I understand the principle, so I'm not attacking that. I'm just saying, but isn't it interesting when, when you just watch the progression of people and then your own progression and how you don't see the change in people or you don't see the change in yourself. And, and uh, uh, but somebody else does. And uh, it's, it's like you don't see, it's like someone you know or you have a family member. I remember we went to Raymond, we came back one time and my younger sister has, you know, two, uh, for those of you who don't know, she has my younger sister, which uh, she has two sons, but they were just little, you know, when we was going to Bible school. Then you know you had gone for a long time and came home for the holidays, and and the and the uh, the youngest one walked in, and and I thought it was he was the oldest one because they looked a lot alike, and I thought well he ain't changed a bit you know in a year or so, and and then all of a sudden the oldest one walked in and I said oh my gosh what <laughs> it's like oh this is and I said I thought I thought the youngest one was the oldest one the oldest one you know until the other one walked in. 
But I forgot, you know, they weren't frozen in time. And that's what happens to us, I think, spiritually, is that we, we don't even see the progression of, of how much we have changed and how the Holy Spirit has. Um, because the Holy Spirit doesn't get up every morning and say, I, I, well, I can't do the, the whistle, but he, he doesn't do that. Or, you know, in, in other words, you, you don't have goosebump feeling every morning that, that he, he says, I'm in here, you know, and you go, ooh, you know, you know that, that's just not how it works. But you don't even know he's leading you many times and directing you to do things a lot of times. And he's, he's steering you around things and away from things and to people and away from people and, and all kinds of things. And, and then just causing you sometimes to think about things that, that, that you, you might just think it's your thinking. We'll, we'll really never know to the extent, maybe till we get to heaven, how much we were influenced when we didn't even know we were being influenced or by whom we was being influenced by. And how the Holy Spirit was orchestrating all these little things, but with not nuances in the sense of he wasn't blowing the trumpet and saying, see, this is what I'm showing you now. And, now, and then you come five, ten years later and you've grown to this place. But I don't want you... I don't know why I'm saying it, but I don't want you or anyone here to think that if you're going through a test or trial that, that, that we think that if you're going through this because you don't have enough faith. If that happens here and you, and you find out about it, would you please come tell me? Because whether you realize this now, usually the pastor knows the last of anybody what's going on in the church. Everyone thinks it's the other way, but it's not the other way because they don't tell the pastor anything. N nothing. You have, you'd have to go to the gossip if you had one. Say, what's going on in the church that I don't know about? But we don't have those either. We 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 did, but we cut their tongues out and we <laughs> got a lot of trouble for it. No, I was kidding. We didn't do that. But you know, why would you need to be taught faith? Why would you need faith at all if everything just was? Faith is the substance of things, hope for the things that you don't see and sometimes don't feel. And sometimes it doesn't seem like God's anywhere around. Anyone ever been like me before? Can I just say this? Have you ever been like me that just seemed like God was not within a million miles of you? Am I the only one here who's ever felt like God? Do you know, have, did you even forget the earth as a planet? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, where are you? <laughs> I mean, like, do you, I know you're loved, and I don't even want to ask you stuff like this, but like, really? Because if I was you, we would change things so fast. I mean, so fast. So fast. There were some people that would do the attention, like whoop or snapper. I mean, it would be quick. You know, but that's the reason I'm not him, I suppose, and and uh, he didn't put me in charge. So I'm trying to talk about change, but maybe I am. But think about Joseph. You know, he has a dream, and he wakes up from his dream, and it, it ends up being a nightmare. But, you know, a great dream that he's excited about, well, he's the only one excited about it. No one. I mean, who in his family is going to be excited about that? I mean, it was his dream, and it was true, but, you know, he was just in his youth. He went and told everybody, his father. I mean, he told his father, you're going to bow down to me. It's like, they're like, oh, yeah, Dad. It's like, he's like, you, can, can we go ahead and start practicing now? 
a 17 year old gonna tell his parents you go, you'll be bowing down to me one day. It's like, <laughs> golly. And he, he went from there to the, he went from the, from there to a prison, to a pit, to a prison. And he didn't, you know, they didn't bail him out in 30 days either. He was there, I think, 13 years. But he became, you might say, the vice president of the nation by the time he was 30 years old. Now, at my age, looking back at 30, that's like, that young, huh? <laughs> but at his age, 17 to 30, you know, but I, I, he may have, but, but it doesn't record that he was, he was depressed or they, they had to put him on depression medicine for it. I, 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 mean, it, it, I mean, I don't even know if they had it. But, but when, you, when you read the scripture, it says that, that they prospered because Joseph was there. A lot of your family, whether they realize it or not, have done as well as they have because of you. God loves them, but because of you. See, because there's a principle in Joseph that we have to understand that there was a dream. Every time there's a dream, there's 100% uh, of the time, every time there's a dream, it's like a seed. And every seed, once it's planted, it dies. If you understand that, that every time I get the idea of the dream from God, it's going to go through what looks like a death process, like it's, you was wrong, you didn't hear from God, it was it's like, where's God? He's, he's right there. He's never leaving. He doesn't have to blow the trumpet, but he's right there. He still knows the numbers of hairs on your head. He still, he still knows every frailty, every weakness. He knows every, he knows every little thing. He knows the outcome. He's more excited than you are about the whole thing. But every, every seed that you put into the ground, whether it's a cucumber or whatever it is, that seed has to die. Jesus was the ultimate seed, but he had to die so that we would be the harvest of the seed. Every dream that God gives you, every dream that God gives you has to go first through the death process before it can be resurrected. If you understand that principle, then, then, then you won't be overcome by well, what's happened because I had this word from God and they said this and the pastor said that and whatever. I was just talking with someone here recently that told me, you know, they said, that you prophesied to me about a year ago about this and then everything got three times worse than what you said. And I, and I said, that sounds about right. And they said, well, you didn't tell me that part. I said, well, you didn't ask me either. <laughs> I mean, they're not in the church. They're, they were someone, they're, they're, it was someone else. And I said, well, what, what did you go do? They said, well, you was talking to me about business, so I went and started two of them. Like you said, I said, I told you to start two businesses? They said, no, that you saw some businesses, because uh, I'm already in business, but working for business, but I want to have my own business, so I went and, you know, they had the money to go do it, and I lost $25,000 after you told me to go start the businesses. I said, when did I ever tell you to start a business? And they said, well, you... Well, I said, who'd you start your business with? She said, my family. I said, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so after we talked about it for a while, they thought, you know what? You, you never did go tell me to go start, but I, I just went and ran and done it. I said, uh-huh. Well, see, well, sh sh she learned, and it, that, 
the prophecy is still there. There's a timing for it, minus the $25,000 uh, that she threw into it that wasn't the right time. Because the prophecy generally never matches the day of your life that it comes. It's, it's, it's generally for the future. And God's telling you ahead of time. So book is prophecy. All this in, my, in the mind of God, Revelation, the book of Maps, it's already happened in God's mind. We just haven't walked into it yet. So change is, change is vital. And, uh, but he says in verse 6, he says, But the carnal mind is death, but the spiritual mind is life and peace. See, there has to be an internal change before there can be an external change. It has to happen that way. Whether you like it or not, it, 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 that, it's just the way God works. God does everything internally. And we have to, we have to learn that lesson that we're trying, what, we're, what we're trying to have is have an external experience. And you will have the external experience. But God doesn't do it from the outside. He does everything from the inside. Amen. Everything is from the inside. He, he calls the entire Word of God a, a seed. That ought to be a clue. That if it's a seed, that, it, that it's going to be planted. And if it's planted, that means it's hidden. It's out of sight. Unless you go dig it up. And if you dig it up, you're not, not going to have a harvest. So every seed or every dream that you get will have to be planted so it will be out of sight. It is not out of mind, but out of sight before it can produce a harvest. I like something Andrew Wong says. I like a lot of things he said, but one thing he said was, he said, I, I, don't, I didn't have to be with you the day that you planted your garden to know what you planted. I could just come by a few weeks later, a couple months later, a couple months later and then I'll know what you planted. Because the fruit, you know, if it's corn, the, the stalk itself will tell me what you were doing, eight, ten, how many weeks it takes to get corn stalks. It'll tell me what you did on that day, on that Saturday that you planted. I don't have to be there that day because the fruit itself will tell the story. And your life is a story. And I want to tell you that it's like Habakkuk says, write the vision because it has an appointed time. And at the end, the vision will speak for itself. The vision will speak. It's pretty cool when the vision can do its own talking. A couple of times when we was in Tulsa, and then one time after school, when I went back, I visited ORU three times because it was just a very <laughs> unique university the structure of it for, the, for its day, and even, even for today, it, it's a very unusual structure. Uh, very breathtaking, to, you know, for, for, for the time in which it was built. But it wasn't just for the structure, it was to, because I knew enough about the story, read enough for Oral Roberts' books, and I just happened to know that he built it with $40. That's all he had. He just had a word from God and 40 bucks. And if you've ever been there, been by there, you know, you see the great the, the praying hands in the front and then all the campuses and all such as that and uh, it's like what do you do with what God says build a university it shows you the land which you don't own and you don't have any money you don't have any partners you don't have any natural wealth you don't have any rich relatives you're not 
anybody's error naturally is going to leave you anything. God says, mm-hmm. build a university. Just think about that. Forget that I'm speaking and preaching and just think about what I'm talking about. God wakes you up in the morning and tells you to go build him a university and you look around and you see what you have in your, in your account. Even if you're doing good today, you, know, probably, you may not have enough to build a university. But he had $40. And he said, Lord, how am I going to build a university? All I have is $40. And that university wasn't built that year or the next year or the next year. It was a period of time because God was doing a work on the inside of War Roberts before he could do the work on the outside. God understand that, understands that well because he made us. He knows us. And so the day that he's talking to you about is not necessarily the start day, but it's the seed day. It's the dream day. It's the seed day, the seeds plant. So he asked the Lord, what can I do with $40? And, and he says, well, you can begin to draw the plans. He says, pray it out, and I'll give you the plans. And, he, and he, he, over a period of time, he got the plans. He drew them out on paper, you know, what would be where on this land and what, what it would look like and, and such as that. So the, the day came, uh, I, I, without going through the whole story, that he was able to get the land, but couldn't build nothing, but had some, had, didn't have all the land, but had some land now. But he had no money to build anything. He said, I couldn't, I couldn't have put a tent. He said, after I got the, some, some of the land, not, not near all the land, but just some of the land, he said, I didn't have enough money to buy a Coleman tent. He said, I had, he said, and I still had, you know, less than $50. He says, so he's told him to go get some wood and go get in some string. And he says, just get you some stakes and just take the string as an outline. And in other words, like if the bill is going to be a hundred foot that way, then we're going to put a hundred foot of string and put the stakes in the ground. And we're going to get, you know, the, the boundaries and the framework of what it would look like to have a building right here. What was he doing? He was using his faith. What was he doing? He was employing his imagination. He was giving him something to see like he gave Abraham something to see. When he said, you, you, you're, I know you're wanting to believe me, you're trying to believe me, but you're, you're, you're tripping over your mind. You know you're getting older, your wife's getting older, you know that Sarah's never been able to have children. You're telling me that like I don't know that. He said, and, and so how did God really fix that? Because God had, a, that was a problem. In other words, Abraham was stopped. He couldn't go any further. So, so, what would the most intelligent being in the universe do to his covenant man to help him when he got to the place where he couldn't go any, for, any further? He said, come out of the tent. And he used something natural to help his faith with it. What did he use? He used creation itself. The creation, what did he say? He said, look up at the stars, can you count them? Well, no doubt Abraham had saw the stars many times, but he, wasn't, but he never thought about stars in the, in the sense of descendants. But the Lord gave him a word. He says, if, if you can count them, then you, then you might count how great your descendants will be. That had to blow him away in a good way. Or the sands on the shore. How can you count them? There's no way. So shall it be with your descendants. So God helped him along, helped him along, helped him along until they finally got to a place where they could judge God faithful. It was the, it was the, it was the preparation. The, the day, forget the notes, I guess they're no good. So the day they have your party for having achieved everything, you'll be happy, it'll be fun. 
but you won't be, you, you, you'll care, you'll be excited, but not, you won't be the one jumping up and down in the room as much as maybe somebody else is because you will have already lived it many times over. You'll be thankful, you'll be excited, but it won't be like, I can't hardly believe this is true because you will have already lived it. You will have already seen it. So change starts as a man thinketh what? In his heart. One of the most simplest verses in the entire Bible written by a man named Solomon, which had some wisdom from God. Just simply saying, who you really are is who you really think you are in your heart. Isn't that a powerful principle from, from the word? As a man or woman thinks in their heart, that's exactly who they are. That's the reason why we all should, uh, pastors should, any, anyone who cares and has people that they care about, family, whether they're talking one-on-one -on -one or whether they're teaching a class or ministering, that's why, we, that's why we endeavor to minister on the heart level. A lot, a lot of times, see, so Jesus never come to start a religion. God's not interested in religion. Never came to start one. Re religion is just man's attempt to find God. That's, that's about as easy as ways that you can say it. Man trying to find God has produced ways, forms, manners to, to, to find God or get his attention. And so God just simply says, as you believe in your heart, that's exactly who you're going to be. So what does he do? He wants us to, to renew our mind to think like he thinks because he's trying to change us on the heart level. If you can change people at the heart level, then you'll have permanent change, which will bring promotion. That's why grace, some people, doesn't really matter. It's, it's, it's nothing new under the sun. Solomon said that. It's true. Everything comes around. There's, there, there's, there's been an emphasis on grace for the last, I don't know, what, eight, nine, ten years. And it's, it's had its, everyone kick it around. And, you know, and of course there's people who taught it in such a way that, you know, it wasn't altogether right or, or wrong. But... People who live by the new covenant of grace have always been, has always been persecuted. Just read your Bible. Go over to Galatians and see who, who, which one of Abraham's sons were persecuted. The son of the promise or the son of the law? The one, the one that came by human effort, Ishmael, or was it Isaac? And so when you don't understand something, you know, or you can get in one ditch or get in the other, but... But grace is not something God started doing 10 years ago in 2010 or 12. He's like, you know, I got some brand new doctrine. You ever heard of Martin Luther and the Reformation? He didn't start there either. You know how many thousands, I forget how many thousands of people died in that revolution so that I could stand up here and say that the way to, the way to be born again is through faith in Jesus Christ by, by, the, by the grace of God. And, and he nailed the thesis, the 95, I think it was, thesis that to the door of the church and started a revolution that was going to be one of the bloodiest wars on the planet. 
And we think it's just something grace or something brand new that God just thought of. No, there's just a re-emphasis of things because things get re-emphasized in the body of Christ because they get lost in generations. Brother Hagin, his last few years on the, on the, of his life, what he called the fourth phase of his ministry was to, he was doing Holy Ghost meetings. Um, we, we were there for that time when he, when he started at Bible school. And he said, um, actually he didn't start big meetings. He said he, he went out and he started in some uh, smaller churches on the outskirts of Broken Arrow. And he told his son-in-law, he said, just get me some of these small churches. He said, that's just been a flow I haven't been in for a number of years. And the Lord told me, he said, the reason I want you to do this is because he said, this is a move of my spirit that will be lost to a generation. And things get lost in generations. He said, I, I want to emphasize, I want people to know, I want people to hear the voice. Of he said, I want them to know how to listen and follow and know what the Holy Ghost is saying and doing. And so people just took it like, you know, it's just a bunch of crazy folks, you know, laughing and dancing and carrying on. Well, that ain't the Bible. Oh, really? You can't find laughter and joy in the Bible? You know, but people who are depressed don't want, sometimes don't want, they like their depression because it gives them attention. Huh? But I, I got to see the positive effects of it personally. And, um, and so he just said, I, so it was just, it was just to reemphasize something that was being lost. And so God was just reemphasizing. He, in other words, it wasn't something brand new. Brother Hagin would tell you himself, he said, being my age in the ministry this long, he said, oh, we had Holy Ghost beatings for years, a number of years ago. He says, but not so much in the last several years. So it was just a reemphasis. The, 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 the grace of God, it's never going to go away. It was always here. It just says whole, whole, there was a whole group of people that wasn't being taught, and, and they really didn't understand. People like me, who knew some things, but just didn't have really any idea. I mean, I just thought, by grace, you're saved through faith. By grace, is there anything else to know about grace? I mean, what, I mean what, what, other than that one scripture, is there anything else you need to know? Must be to change your whole church name to a Grace Life Church, <laughs> you, you know, and teach on it every Sunday for about four years. To realize that we're, you know, we're living in two covenants at one time, it's not working. You're having some successes and some whatever. And uh, so God's just so gracious. And, but I'm just saying change starts on the inside, doesn't it? Growth starts on the inside. And here he says, and we'll finish back where we started right here. So he said to be carnally minded, to think naturally, is going to produce death for you. But if you'll think spiritually, he said, it'll, it will bring to you life and peace. He didn't say it might bring death. He said it will. No one here wants death. You know, the, 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 the least little, uh, when we say death, I, I don't mean always physically to the grave. That's not exactly what saying does include that. But any, any form, you know, in its in its most in the seed form of anything that doesn't produce life is just death. I mean, if you if, if you if you could die from if you could die from a war, the, the devil would be willing to kill you with it. If, if freckles could take you out, you, I mean, he he would multiply them overnight if he could. A, a, anything that's not of God is not life. 
because he, he is just he is light and he is life. So we 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 do things externally, but what but what God wants to do is just He wants you to take the time to meditate. He wants you to take the time to ponder. He wants you to take the time to listen. He wants time to think. He wants you to take the word internally because He knows it's seed and He knows what seed does. That's why the word of God is what it's, it's medicine. Why do you take any medicine? Because you're trying to get a physical benefit from it, whether it's that or it's an emotional situation that people have. And thank God there has been medicines that can help people, not against medicine. Certainly not against, you, 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 know, you know the reason why we're not against medicine doctors? Because we're not against helping people. But that's not the highest. But thank God that he gave us all ways to get help. So why, why would we put anyone in a place of anyone? Why would we put anyone under condemnation for getting help? I, I don't understand that. And I know from, from people who sit in churches, from faith churches for years, whether it wasn't said, it just they felt like it was implied that if I need help in any area, I just must not be in faith. And, and that's just absolutely wrong. It's not that you can't grow in faith, but it doesn't mean you have the problem because you're not in faith or a lack of faith. You know, the devil is just not really your best friend. I'm just going to tell you that. <laughs> and if you give him a chance, he'll, he'll, be, he'll be more than willing to oblige you to take you out. And then we just live in a natural world. Right now, we have a body that's fearfully and wonderfully made, but, it, but still, it's, it's nothing like it's going to be. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm so happy about the trade-in. <laughs> you know, that we'll, that we'll have a spirit body, you know. And then one day, he'll take this body from the grave. And I mean, he happens to like what he made with your body. But when he gets the major redo, it, it won't never need any work. Never. So anyway, let's, let's stop there. But I'm just saying, remember that uh, as we think, internally is exactly the person that we are and that we're going to continue to be. So if I want promotion, then it's going to require change. People who refuse to change always eliminate themselves from the possibility of what can be. If you just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, you're going to get the same result. That's, you know, that's the definition of insanity. Businesses who won't change over a period of time, rarely do they ever exist. I mean, just almost everything, the way that you, that you do business. Um, the, the, the way that you, if you go to Walmart, uh, you, you see about one, no more than two, two, uh, two uh, cashiers now. The rest of it is self-checkout. A lot of the world thinks that's wonderful. Um, people who are older don't think it's so wonderful. They they don't want to go through the change. They don't they don't want they don't want a phone. They don't want to learn how to text. They don't they, they don't care about no social media. And I'm not saying that's good or bad, but I'm just saying, but the world's not going to quit changing. I mean, it's uh, we were out trying to find something Monday. And couldn't find it, and I just and so I just picked up my phone. So I said, "Sir, I need directions to so and so." 
put it down, and she, she says, working on it. 20 seconds later, she tell me how to get there. I thought, you know, that would have come in so handy so many years ago when we were trying to read a map, you know, like this big. And then we thought we really hit the jackpot when MapQuest come out and you could print off, you know, 14 sheets. <laughs> you know, it'd be fine if you had someone on the, on the passenger side, but when you was trying to, like, oh, you know, and you're, you know, you're downtown Atlanta, there's like 14 lanes and like, well, uh, uh, map, can you do a map quest? You know, when you're from Jemison with two lights and you go to Atlanta, it's very intimidating. It's just very, it's like cars going, oh my God, oh, and airplanes. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know. So, change is here to stay. And so we're just going. We're going to continue to change because God's all. The reason why, because God's always changing, not in the sense that He's changing. He's not ever. He doesn't need change because you can't. You you can't. You can't perfect perfection. But our methods change. The way that we do things change, and we have to change the way that we think internally to get the external benefit of what we need for ourselves and to bring to others. Amen.